everybody, and welcome to the, the inaugural episode of The Cup, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock. And today, we'll be talking about the production of King Lear. Each episode, we're going to break down a production we've all just recently watched. This week, it's Stratford's production of King Lear, directed by Anti Chimolino, starring Calm Fior. Today, we are joined by Cup of Hemlock's resident dramaturg and literary manager, Ryan Barakovich. Yes, Ryan, show us your cup. What type of cup do you have today? I have a green coffee mug with tea in it. Beautiful. Beautiful. We are joined by Edmund Clark, our Hello, production everyone. manager. What is in your cup today, good sir? I have some water. Beautiful. And also in a green cup. Yep. And we are joined by Jill, our King Lear virgin, as well as our special guest panelist of the day and friend of the company. Jill, what's in your cup? I have this lovely I Love Manatee cup, and it has some birthday cake tea from David's Tea in it today. Love it. And I am Mackenzie, the general assistant of Cup of Hemlock, and I am drinking from my lovely tanker, which is full of water. Mm. So uh, we'll kick things off today with a quick general question out to the group of how many of us knew Lear before going into this production? I knew it. Ryan, you knew. You knew of it. You mean knew as in read it? <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like how, like have you read it before? Have you seen it before? Or was this like brand new? Didn't know what the heck that was going to happen. That uh, you were surprised by the eye gouging scene, like all that good stuff. Like then I think just you and you and Ryan. Yeah, I uh, actually did. I have never had the privilege of studying this um, okay. in like a practical or academic sense. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was a, a pure virgin watching this. Um, presentation of it mm -hmm. and my, yeah it's fantastic yeah my my only experience with Lear I mean I knew of its existence I'd seen mm -hmm. the dresser with mm -hmm. Anthony Hopkins and Ian McKellen where Anthony Hopkins character plays bits and pieces of Lear since he's an actor in the movie uh, right. and then also from adaptations uh, when I was in university or theater school mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. Ryan, so was this your first production you'd seen of it, or have you seen other ones before? Um, I feel like this was my first full stage production of it. I've seen okay. full film versions of it. I've mm -hmm. read the play several times before. I've seen season three of Slings and Arrows, which, yeah. you know, the incomparable William Hutt played the role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's not true. I have seen a production. It was at the Fresh Meat Festival in Ottawa of Burger oh. King Lear. And oh. it was a puppet show with actual, like, real food playing the roles of all the characters. And it was probably the most remarkable piece of theater I've seen in my life. I don't remember the name of the lovely person who created it. But if you're watching, it was amazing. And keep making food puppetry work. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I had read the play. Uh, I had seen clips of it. I actually used the uh, Edmund's uh, ba uh, bastard speech for my entrance Ooh. monologue into York. So I knew that speech really well. So then I heard it came on. I was like, ah, I know this. I know this. I know this. So there we go. We got a nice mixed panel of people who are brand new and people who have some base knowledge of this play. So I think the first question we always can start with the production is, uh, which character was do you think was best performed of the show? Like which person stood out to you in the cast? Because I mean, everybody can be great in the cast. But they're usually someone you either identify with or the performance just elevated just that much further than everybody else. Like, who was that? Um, Jill, we'll start with you. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, I think 
there was a lot of standout moments by mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. actors throughout the show um one that really resonated with me and i it was just like um i don't know why it kind of resonated with me but the fool um and i I went back and i actually watched the interview um that was prefaced the the um showing and um comb was saying how um this actor like he's he was such like an honest there's a yeah Stephen Olmet is his name yeah Yeah, he was very immediate and very vulnerable in the rehearsal Mm -hmm. process um and I really feel he was that on the stage too Mm -hmm. um uh and he being a Lear virgin he was kind of like a good guiding light for Mm -hmm. for me too or like something Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. to lean on um Mm yeah there really wasn't a performance i disliked in this Mm -hmm. interpretation Mm -hmm. um but something yeah like the fool and any of the moments that were very raw and grotesque in like an emotional or physical way um Mm -hmm. i was very impressed okay fantastic just wait till you see steve allmet take on a part in in coriolanus which we'll be reviewing next He, he plays he plays one of the villainous characters of that play. So it's going to be very interesting to see your interpretation of him when mm-hmm. he's playing a very different role. Because Stephen Olmet does a very good job at playing very sincere characters. He was a fantastic Sir Andrew Ajuchik when he performed right. with Brian Bedford in Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very, it, he's a very, he's a fantastic actor. He also runs the Birmingham Conservatory at the festival. So he is, he's quite a fantastic man. Well mm-hmm. done, well done. Great choice, Jill. And what sayeth you? Who is your standout shout out of this of this production? I'm gonna have to agree with Jillian. I, I think the pool was my favorite um, performance, and I think it has to do maybe a bit opposite to what Jillian was saying. I think it has to do one a lot with his tempered performance of the character. He was very well paced and well timed with uh, with when it when he chimes in, when he speaks, how he spoke amongst mm-hmm. the chaos and I think mm-hmm. it was that chaos that everybody else was setting against his performance that really made it stand out mm-hmm. so for me the fool for for, for sure it was it was, mm-hmm. it was I mean every every moment that I, I feel you were supposed to laugh you laughed and every moment you're mm-hmm. supposed to think that you thought mm-hmm. yes they had great chemistry Calm Fior and Stephen Allmet like you watch that scene with them where they're talking about where you're saying do not let me be the fool after he's on his way from um, Goneril's to Regan's. And there's that moment on the side of the road uh, where where's the whole idea of sell the coxcomb and then and then he gets in the whole thing of where you see the sympathy of Lear. Yeah. And Stephen Olmet plays such a sincere performance from that. Like when you find out the fool dies and he's hung at the end of the play, you're like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I it think comes the, out of nowhere. Like nobody expects him to die. Yeah, the I think the language especially really lends itself to those two characters when they're up, when they're on the on the stage, they contrast. I mean, mm-hmm. so well with one another, just like mm-hmm. with Lear and Gloucester, former mm-hmm. Earl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he yeah. also helps us uh, like um, tap into the empathy of Lear. I find too, because they're yeah. in that moment that you were talking about, Ed. Too, just the intimacy between the two on stage. He sort of acts as as like a second reflection of Lear. Mm-hmm. I find I find actually like Lear was talking through him, or he was talking through Lear. So mm-hmm. that relationship, I think, flushed out by both well, actors was fantastic. I think he's the only character that really checks Lear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are others well, uh, that try yeah. to call that call him out on his mm-hmm. 
you know actions but it's the yes. fool that's just like oh i'm the fool i have but i that's mm -hmm. I, that's like a constant with some of shakespeare's other fools absolutely <laughs> very well, at liberty to speak yeah well, well I, mean, I mean that was the job of the fool in the medieval courts is they were the one person in the court who kind of called bs on the ruler yeah. because, it, because it was done in a very satirical way and it's, it's like many other fools we have like either whether it's fest day with olivia or yep. um what other good ones do we have ryan that are in the shakespeare canon that are the other great fools of of, of shakespeare oh uh, let's see well falstaff is obviously one we spoke yes. at length in the past um yes the fest day you mentioned uh, yeah trying to think now at the top on the spot here as from as you like it Jacques, there's a great one yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot of great fools that there's really also just are... a lot that they're just named clown in the script yes. you don't really have as fleshed out roles but still serve yes. that same function lancelot gobo and merchant yes. Venice is another mm -hmm. fun one even if you can completely remove them from the play and nothing changes plot wise <laughs> yeah well there would be the morality kind of compass of the show Mm -hmm. For sure. Ryan, who is your standout character? Well, like, standout is tough because obviously with any production of King Lear, you want to talk about the star Lear, and Fjord yes. did an excellent job, and I feel while I'm going to pick someone else as my standout, I don't want mm -hmm. it to seem like, oh, well, let's talk about everyone but Lear, I'm sure. <laughs> you had more questions about his performance specifically, but Lear will always steal the show in any production. But I think the show. Yeah, I think for me, though, the real MVP of this production was probably Scott Wentworth as the Elder Duke of Gloucester. Mm. I, something that I really liked about his performance is I think there's a tendency to play that role as kind of like this like old, dotard, bumbling fool, a bit of a Polonius type who mm -hmm. really doesn't have it together. And that's why he misses the fact that one of his sons is conspiring against him. But mm -hmm. I really admired the power that Wentworth brought to the role here. Yes. He wasn't a fool. He was kind of following along and just was legitimately tricked because he's, mm -hmm. I guess, a more clever adversary. And mm -hmm. he never felt mm -hmm. like weak or, well, he's obviously pitiful after his eyes are taken out and he's, mm -hmm. you know, going over to the cliffs of Dover. But mm -hmm. at the same yeah. time, I did like that strength that Wentworth brought to the role that mm -hmm. I rarely see. To add to that too, yes. Ryan, and I feel like this, he did such a great job of exuding this throughout, but um, the production itself like was so raw <laughs> and bare and so, like in your face almost. And that just like sparked uh, the thought of mine of, of how wonderful all the other actors did with that too. Like it just seemed, mm -hmm. it was it was a very like, grotesque, raw production um, mm -hmm. that stripped away, made it kind of more human in a way, uh, which I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll get into production value wise, but mm -hmm. that just triggered because I think he did a really good job of, of yeah. To <clears throat> pop on to that mm -hmm. uh, with, yeah, Gloucester, his voice um, mm -hmm. was very- Scott Wentworth, yeah. He has a yeah, great distinctive I, voice. I, I, I mean, I, I do, for, for those who just know me as a production manager, I also do acting outside, but to have such a powerful voice on the stage and mm -hmm. like you had said, this bumbling dotard where he's just you know kind of oblivious to some things and whatnot but like to have such a powerful voice associated with that or contrast against that is it's, well yeah it's nice to see i nice think that's what anchored the performance for me is that he didn't feel like that weak bumbling fool yeah and just the yeah. voice alone did such a play such a big role in just conveying yeah. the strength and power of this figure who is no yeah. fool. he had such well, a growth of of like 
inclination of relationship with himself I found mm -hmm. too he was probably one of the the characters I found the most growth in as well even the relationship he created with his eye sockets like mm -hmm. you know it started out as like a bloody rag across his his eyes and then mm -hmm. you know when that was stripped away yeah he just did a really good job of of um yeah showing showing that I think I think what really sold his <laughs> virility um, is that first monologue he has after Lear sends Cordelia and it's before um, uh, um, Edmund comes out with the letter speech where he's talking about his two sons and just how like, he's like, yeah, I slept around. I got like a bastard kid. And it, 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 I, he has that, he has a lot of that strength. Like, he, like even up to when he gets his eyes gouged out, when, he, when they drag him on stage, time in a chair. He's yeah. like, he's fighting it. Like he is all the way, like, like he's a very powerful presence on stage when he, when he comes on and you're, you're right. And it does definitely come from the voice in particular. That's what really sells Scott's yeah. performance for sure. Because yeah, he's fantastic. He actually just played Shylock recently as well. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, Tavia figure on the roof that year. He was Shylock. And then he also was, um, uh, Juliet's dad. Um, mm -hmm. Capulet yeah. uh, in, in, in R&J as well. So he's a fantastic uh, actor. Tony nominated as well. <laughs> so there you go, Scott Wentworth. Uh, I will say, yes, he is. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, he's getting the win for this. Uh, I will say my, uh, yeah. Mine was Maeve Beattie as Goneril. Oh, I, I love Maeve Beattie. <laughs> I loved her so much because she didn't play Goneril like a villain. Like I actually felt pity for Goneril where I was like, yeah, girl. Like, I get where you're coming from with this. We're like, you're, we're, we're, we're like, where, where she, where, where she was, um, basically just frustrated with the situation that she was in. We're like, I think, having now seen my parents go through this with, 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 with their parents, where it's like, where you get to that age where it's like you want to help your parent, but at the same time, they're still wanting to be the parent. So there's that power struggle, and 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 particularly maybe because she's the eldest. Now, has a lot of expectations put on her, as Aintim Chingo points out, where she is the representation of upholding the past with Lear, where it's like that thing of where she's trying to assume control of the situation, but he is continually fighting against it. And she just gets frustrated. And she's like, you know what? Forget it. Like, you tell me that, like, I should be a barren, like, person who shouldn't have a child and, 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 and you're beating my people. Like, she was very sincere in her performance that even when she, like, makes the choice to, join up with Edmund, you can see why, because it's for her, it's, it's it's not a love match, it's a power match, where she is more like, okay, my next step of securing myself is get with the new Earl of Gloucester, because clearly he's got more sense about him than Albany does. Mm -hmm. So like, she, she gave a very well-rounded performance that I felt really kind of sold the character in a new way for me, because the two sisters, God and Regan, be played as very Machiavellian-like, evil abusive people but it's like no i actually understood where they were coming from so maybe you get a shout out for me i um, i'm gonna contend with you on that one because uh -oh. i do i'm not doubting the sincerity of the performance and maybe <laughs> i missed a beat or two that helped me get into the transition of what i'm about to say because mm -hmm. i believe that at the end i was a bit thrown aback where there was this sort of kind of vindictive nature about you know what she was doing and i mean you know poisoning her sister and whatnot i feel like that that just kind of might have to come out <laughs> but uh, but it, it did throw me 
throw me off a bit where it's like, okay, maybe maybe the, in the transition, something to me was was missing, or maybe I just missed it, uh, whether it be through movement or something, or mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. But there was a bit of a uh, an abrupt switch towards mm-hmm. the latter the latter scenes of the of, of mm-hmm. Lear. A- am I the only one that just saw that? No, I kind of agree that? with you, Ed, and yeah. I think it mm-hmm. has to say to uh, Lisa Rapo Martel, who played Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do agree. I feel like their uh, their relationship sort of tapered near the end for me. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. In, in a way, like obviously it does, but in a way that yeah. I, I could have it could have been stronger. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily from an acting sense, just from like a vibe sense. Um, yeah. And that that could have just been a direction thing or or who knows. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, because I I was able to find the contrast and comparisons between the, those two sisters, especially throughout the whole mm-hmm. um, show. But mm-hmm. I just felt um, more of a closed closure with Reagan than I did with Goneril, which I don't yeah. think necessarily is wrong. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you in saying that there there's maybe something that that was missing there. And I yeah. think, I think the, I, I, I always appreciate going for the, not the obvious, right? So they mm-hmm. didn't go for the Machiavellian vindictive, mm-hmm. you know, conniving in the very beginning, always mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, something very <laughs> difficult to do when, you know, the obvious is the obvious for the reason it's the easiest, mm-hmm. right? So when you go against it, it is kind of hard. I just think, yeah, it kind of tapers. Um, in little moments. Mm-hmm. Ryan, Ryan, what do you what think? Do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was pretty happy with the with the sisters' portrayal. I see both sides of this. That yes, I do think that this you know going against the obvious, as you put it, Ed, that really did yeah cement their kind of take as these sort of villainous characters. Something that I kind of just love about this play in general, and maybe this production brought it out a little more than others, is that the thing that starts the conflict is kind of so small in a way that it's just Lear shows up and he's like, I want all my knights to live in your castle. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is too many knights. Get them out of here. And yeah. everything kind of spirals from there. Obviously it starts beforehand when he divides the kingdom, perhaps in the not best allocation of resources, but yeah. things don't actually start going downhill yeah. until he's just like, look, I have all my knights. And she's like, don't bring those knights in here. And <laughs> Which I don't blame her for. Like, uh, like they make yeah. very valid arguments in that scene between the three of them where it's like, why do you need 200 like knights and squires when like I have a whole household who can look after you? See he's something? Like, yeah. He's like, it's not, it, there's no matter. Like, it's just like, I want it. And it's like, well, sure. Well, he doesn't care if you want it or not. You're not in charge anymore. It's They're the that ones I, that, that yeah. they're in charge now. See, something that I remember arguing with my grade 12 English teacher about this is that why, I'm like, he's the king, why is this a conflict? Why can't he just say, no, I'm staying? And he's like, well, and the English teacher's like, well, because he gave up the land and it belongs to Goneril now. Like, but he comes with a whole army of knights. He can, <laughs> he can take the land back if he finds that she's not using it to his cup of tea. Yeah. He could. Well, that's a Shakespeare pothole. <laughs> I don't think it's a pothole. I just raise your yeah, cups every time we hear seventeen-year-old me was not impressed at Lear's judgment there. Might well, we, before yeah, we uh, segue too much away from the lovely ladies of the piece, uh, might I put a compliment on the um, costuming of the women? 
I, yeah, yeah like I loved all right from the get go, um, you know, Goneril's all in green, Regan's all in red. And then Cordelia sort of has a, a mishmash of a muted yellow coke kind of. and yeah. the blue and whatever. And so right from, you know, right from the start, those sort of, that sort of musical yeah. connotation as to what their vibes are going to be. Uh, like Regan to me was very fiery and almost vulture-esque throughout the whole piece. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, that was a really good choice to put her all in red. Um, Goneril, you know, a little bit more conniving, um, green, like jealousy and more mature, mature, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Earthy, right? Like she's, Mm -hmm. she's the eldest. Um, and then it was so lovely to, I I was intrigued. I was like, Ooh, I wonder what Cordelia is going to look like near the end, what her costume is going to be. And it was like all, you know, like navy regal blue and then just like a sleeve of the cream that she had from the beginning. If you notice on her costume piece, it's flowers, right? Mm. And that in the in the scene where Lear is in the forest or when he's outside mm-hmm. and he has the flower crown. Right. Because it's kind of like a fawn, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's just that little bit of a connection between the two. The minute he came out with the crown too, I immediately thought of Cordelia yeah. as well, yeah. right? And yeah. and that unity, even of, of his daughters too, you know, like the cyclical mm-hmm. unity. Yeah. Another cool thing, because I was going to mention the uh, the costumes, I thought they were amazing, but the two sisters, mm-hmm. their, their costumes are very um, reminiscent of the Cinderella sisters. I was just about to say that. Yeah, the ugly sisters. Yeah. I was like, I, that was like one of the first things I saw, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought they were going to be vindictive when they came out. I, I, I mm-hmm. thought that that's just what I thought was going to happen. Right, and right. Going off of what Mac was saying, how mm-hmm. they didn't, that uh, Goneril didn't, uh, the actress who played Goneril didn't really went against that. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. okay, that's. Mm-hmm. 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 It's also neat to know what the costumes that. Cordelia, the youngest, is Lear's favorite, and she has the most intricate design out of yes. all the yeah. all, all three. Yeah. So it automatically sets her apart from the other mm-hmm. two who are in solid one color. So it all, mm-hmm. so it all, so right away you're like, ah, oh, costuming wise, you've already told me that they are different statuses. Where clearly yeah. Cordelia is the one that gets Daddy's special gifts, while the mm-hmm. other two are like, oh, I guess I'm just getting my red dress or my green dress. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They still had some yeah. nice ruffs, though. They had, like, yeah. interesting accessories. It wasn't just a plain yeah. green dress. Their armor, yeah. one might yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very yeah. much so. But yeah, there we go. So even in a production that has a fantastic cast like this, there's always a character that we may feel was either unrepre- like underrepresented or just didn't hit the right note. Maybe it went in a way that you didn't particularly in, uh, agree with. So, Ed, why don't we start with you this time? Who was a character that you feel didn't quite hit the mark? Not saying the first, a terrible job, but maybe, maybe their interpretation wasn't just what you were thinking for the role. At first, I was going to say Edgar, but I mean, mm-hmm. and I do have my qualms with with how that was interpreted. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say first and foremost, Cordelia. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Sarah Farber's Cordelia. Yeah, I thought because, and this is my first time watching Lear and seeing it, mm-hmm. but as I was watching it, and once I got to the end, it came to me that the beauty and the um, magnificence of Cordelia and her and her purity comes from others' descriptions of her, mm-hmm. right? 
because mm-hmm. she's she's not that prominent throughout the entire no play, she leaves she's right? gone for it's, a good chunk it's of just it. like yeah it's just like antonio with merchant mm-hmm. of venice it's like through mm-hmm. people's description do we get a sense of this character mm-hmm. well while she while being on the stage in the first scene because that's really where it's where you said it her mm-hmm. character just wasn't strong as the mm-hmm. language really suggested that she should mm-hmm. be i mean she's going she knows that she's going to say what she's going to say is going to be something that her father will not approve of right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um she knows this but she says it regardless so mm-hmm. i think the character was just really portrayed as a lot more weak and, and very emotional but and i mean there was there was like and when i mean grace i mean like when the regal aspect of it right uh mm-hmm. like the the grace of the of, of cordelia uh in her as being like a princess um just mm-hmm. wasn't uh, it, it just I, for me i thought it was i thought it was uh a bit lacking in that regard mm-hmm. um Fair so enough. so that's my mm-hmm. yeah because i i just think and this plays into you know the end especially because i don't i don't think lear should be the one, you know, to be sort of sad about, I think it's Cordelia, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. one who was just kind of given the short end of the stick for what Ryan eloquently put, that's a very <laughs> trivial matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's very so that's, true. That's, that's me. Sarah Farb as Cordelia, fair enough. I, I have to agree. I, I think of all the characters, she's a bit more of a wallflower in this show where I didn't fully connect with Yep. Her. So, so, so when she leaves, it's like, oh, that's too bad. But I know she's coming back at the end. So, <laughs> but, but, but even then, with the how, how, how at the end, just because, because you really need to get, connect with Cordelia off the top in that first scene, because to get that emotional impact of the howl and the and her death at the end, you really need to feel for Cordelia. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I don't think there was enough. I, mind you, we're watching a film version, so yeah. the camera was showing us what we want they needed to show. Yeah. So I don't know if there were things that were show that were either looks or moves that were done off camera that maybe would have accented her more in that first scene. But I, I have to agree yeah. that yeah, that that, that yeah, it, which wasn't as pronounced as she could have been. I will say, Mac, even if she wasn't necessarily as pronounced, we didn't necessarily feel for her on her own terms. Colm mm-hmm. sold the hell out of the hell, hell, oh, hell. Absolutely. Did you guys you treat yourself? Your to the interview before the performance started? Did you I'll, watch you it? You have to, yeah, with him and okay. yeah. So yeah. it was, I mean, I was already like heartbroken watching that, but um, he had shared that his best friend or one of his good friends had died that day. And so yes. like, that howl was for him. And, yeah. um, you know, most of us are actors ourselves too. Mm-hmm. And like the, the open vowel sound, right? It's such yeah. like an emotional yeah. access anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I instantly got goosebumps and started tearing up because you mm-hmm. knew that it was like, this is a different howl. Like this one's yeah. real. Like this is not just yeah. you as Lear doing it. And yeah. so I, I love that he shared that um, mm-hmm. in the interview too, because I think that's especially. I mean, again, we're probably going to delve farther into Lear as the combo goes on. We will. But, we will. Um, with someone like Lear and and personal access and what you know mm-hmm. that yeah. takes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Jill, how about you? Was there any particular character that you felt was either under, like, like didn't quite hit the mark for you? Um, I kind of wanted more, and maybe this is just not even an acting sense, but a character-wise, I wanted more from Edmund. Hmm. Me too. Yeah. That, that, that was one of my like notes as well. Because as well. he was, was like, ah. he was killing it for me at the top, mm-hmm. and then, um, 
Mike Sheriff played Cornwall just like yeah stole that scene and like yes. he had so much agency and mm-hmm. blood was boiling that I'm like mm-hmm. it, like he's the villain like yeah. the idea of villainy yeah. was tossed around throughout the whole play yeah. Say, yeah. but and maybe that's because maybe that makes Edmonds a little bit more um mm-hmm. tailored uh but yeah. yeah I don't know I I he was just like obviously essential to the plot but not mm-hmm. uh I, I wanted more from, from the character. he was very neutral he was very neutral and very conservative in his performance when you can I, go bigger i kind of thought he, he like was doing an interesting job for most of the time and i thought especially the way that they've changed the character of edgar made him more of like a bit of a lecha drunkard at the beginning not yeah. the noble son but the moment where edmund kind of lost me was uh near the very end the to both these sisters how i swore my love speech. yeah you played mm-hmm. it way too much for comedy for my taste, whereas I think that yeah. could actually be like a very, ooh, this guy's creepy, gross, the way right. he's way yeah. into right. political alliances mm-hmm. and sexual alliances. So yeah, absolutely. Trying too hard to be funny and kind of lost to the villainy of the part. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I do believe that Edmund should have been a... I, it, I think it's, it's something easy to get into where you go for the more rageful, more... But like you said, the uh, Duke of Cornwall, is it Duke or Earl? Earl? Cornwall. Cornwall, yeah. Cornwall, yeah, yeah. yeah. That he did steal that um, from him. And that I think, I think what would have been an interesting approach is if he had gone for a more, I guess, Machiavellian approach or just more uh, subdued. I think if, if, if it had been mm-hmm. well contrasted in that sense, because it's something to, like, uh, one, one note that we got in acting school, you know, mm-hmm. is what's the opposite of, of love and hate, right? You would, or mm-hmm. love, people would say hate, but it's mm-hmm. indifference, right? Mm-hmm. So he has, this, he has this hate for his father and everything else. Yeah. Is very, he's very much detached, like mm-hmm. most of the, like most of the, some of the mm-hmm. behaviors in the, in the play. Mm-hmm. It even it even made it a little bit difficult to latch on to um, his relationships with Goneril and Regan too. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it wasn't this. I don't know if it's like a stick yeah. thing for me. I just was like, mm-hmm. you know, when he when they shared intimacy, I, mm-hmm. there was just there was a neutrality I, to it. Yeah, I think I think, and I don't. Um, this it kind of plays into the how do I say the. I guess I'll just say the pace of the show mm-hmm. because there are, it's ups and downs, the roller coaster ride that it takes us on. Some scenes do take away from others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But get into yeah. that more. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can say for me, like, uh, on, on piggybacking on Edmund is just when you watch him, the, you, I didn't feel the danger. Like, yes, he does dangerous things in the plot, like betray his dad, but like, he could have like he could have gone more subtle like gone, almost gone like alan rickman like where like alan yeah. rickman who was, who was very monotone in all his performances like he still had that menacing threat to him where like it could have been perfectly joe as you said like against mike shira's uh cornwall but mm. yeah it, it just felt very neutral like it kind of felt like 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 like, like edmund's all like it's considered one of the great shakespearean villains like an iago I would say, Mac, sorry to interrupt. uh, No, go, go, please, please, please. please. I I would say just as I was kind of commenting earlier that they've made Edgar a bit of a kind of sleazier, grosser character who needs this redemption. I would say that maybe the fact that 
Edmund has here been subdued and less overtly villainous, maybe kind of a similar choice along the same lines that you were describing with Goneril and Regan, mm -hmm. as maybe he has more justifiable reasons. The fact that he is, yeah. is considered a bastard, and as a result, he has no social station. And right. he does something that's no choice of his own that his father laughs at because of. Mm -hmm. So I think there's reason to think that we're going for a more sympathetic portrayal of Edmund here. Mm -hmm. But then... Yeah. You can't really have your cake and eat it too, and still have him be the grand villain at the end. Right. right, right. Yes. Exactly. That, uh, I just think, Brian, you put yeah. it perfectly. That, I just think that exactly he has it. has if if it is going for a more sympathetic approach, he just has too many tantrum moments mm -hmm. that kind of takes that away from me. And if if that were to be you know the case that they, that's something that they would want to keep, I think an interesting approach to it would be sort of him representing a brat like a child right. mm -hmm. while everyone else is more calm, but, and, but you don't really get that level of maturity from a lot of the characters where they're more mm -hmm. subdued. A lot of the characters become very rageful throughout the, throughout the performances mm -hmm. that kind of match uh, Lear's rage. Mm -hmm. right. And that, that for me kind of, I don't think anyone should, should get even as close to Lear when he gets, mm -hmm. when he's at the storm. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Storm, that's a beautiful segue to, I was obsessed with the soundscape of this production. Mine too. And, that, that, the, and the lighting, like, the lighting. especially Great. from us watching it like a movie, right? And I'm sure we'll delve into this as well too, but how we have tailored depictions of the piece because we're looking through the lens of the camera as opposed to sitting in the real audience. But um, it was that, that soundscape, sound, the soundscape and the lights that just like picked up the trip like as transitions really picked up the piece so when when something like this you know there's a neutral moment or something that you yeah. kind of sat funky or wanted more flush like mm -hmm. flushed out you could always lean back on um the the production um characteristics of the yeah. show for sure yes something i would even add to that jill is yeah the storm is obviously the centerpiece of this play and huge mm -hmm. light and sound moment but something that caught my attention about the lighting design and you know Shout out to Michael Walton, who did the design. Excellent job. Yeah. Um, yeah, even in the earlier scenes before the storm comes, that there's this interesting, like, periphery of shadows around all the main action that the characters mm -hmm. just disappear into and get every exit is just being swallowed yeah. by shadows, which mm -hmm. I thought was marvelous atmosphere created by. For sure. And then, and then especially because it was such a scaled um, set, like the, the set was so scaled in this piece. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the the lights and and sound took place of physical set, which was really cool mm -hmm. in a yeah. sense yeah. too. Yes, and I mean, like, yeah, the sound design is just great. Like, even in the eye gouging scene, the sound they the, the sound they yes. figured out making for, for the eye popping yeah. in it the socket. Like a was, to it, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, can I was watching a Saw like, movie or something. I got yeah. really, really grossed out by that scene in all the right ways. But I was just yeah. like, wow, this is, again, the rawness of it, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, this is it. Like, we're showing yeah. the degradation of all these characters. Mm -hmm. You're seeing yeah. it. Um, you know, not sheltering anything. Which it was, was definitely, for me, the sound design that was, that was my favorite element of the production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, the moments where Lear is going mad or where he shows his madness and you hear the i was trying to figure out what the sound was but then once the storm came um i realized that the that the sort of 
windfall noise in the background mm-hmm. when you start to hear Lear kind of, yeah. I thought, oh, wow, that's marvelous, right? Because yeah. so that sort of little calm before the storm mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just yeah, slowly it's a, rising. It's a building and, sound. It's that, yeah, yeah, little yeah between each of the scenes, there. there's that storm getting bigger and bigger, yep, which, yep. Which, we'll, which we'll get into more when we get into our themes and motifs. Yeah. I, I, even, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but during the Cordelia and Lear reunion scene at the beginning, there was like a a little bit of musical underscore to really kind of pull at your heartstrings to make you really feel that reunion where it was, it was, it was um, string instruments. Like it was, it was almost like a plucking of a string instrument yeah. in the background. I was like, ah, oh, even now you're trying to pull my heart through the music. Well done, Sam. Well done, Anthony Cimolino. Uh So, which we'll segue right into our next sequence, which is which production moment we think maybe wasn't the, our favorite part. For me, it was the set. Because I, I mean, the set, because it was so minimal, like at times when you're trying to differentiate between are they outside or the inside, like like, like in, in the three-way scene between Reagan, Goneril, and Lear, it's like, are you guys supposed to be standing outside the castle or are you guys supposed to be standing inside the castle? Mm. Like at least in the first scene, like there was like chairs and candles where I was like, okay, you're clearly inside a hall, but then the lights didn't reflect that enough of where are you at all, all the time. And, yeah. and subtly, like the nods to it was funny in the scene with Gloucester and Edgar when they were mm-hmm. walking up the hill they were just like walking oh. <laughs> in circles but yes. then they were making it obvious that they're like look at us it's so yeah. uphill blah blah like that that, that was funny to me and yeah like, it worked. Like, smart way to use yeah that. but again without them nodding to their yeah. location or what they're doing it, it was a well, little that bit moment actually doesn't take place on the top of a high cliff, even like textually. Yeah, Edgar is playing a joke on him okay, to kind of yeah. bring him. So, like, I think it always kind of has to be staged that way to show that maybe the actor playing Edgar could have done more, like, wink to the audience about. So it, we right. don't feel like we're because it is theater and there is that theater magic element of. Yeah. Of course, I would have. I would have played with that little step that they mm-hmm. had in the background instead mm-hmm. of walking on the one surface, just play with that extra level that they had. That's you know, true. Right? It could be a comedic moment where yeah. he goes, I think it, I think this is even ground, and he goes, just pulls him onto the second step. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, again, a nod to the lights, like the gobos and the lights were just yeah. stunning. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, I'm in yeah. a forest. This is a yeah. storm. This mm-hmm. is a castle. Like, yeah. um, so took place of it, but I will agree with Mac. Um, in just by sheer lack of set, that was mm-hmm. probably my only negative comment into mm-hmm. my least favorite production. Yeah, like some set pieces work, like the first scene with um, Edgar, or sorry, yeah, Edgar Edmund and Gloucester, where like it's really just a desk and a chair and, and a lantern. Like that totally worked because it set the mood right away of where we are and the lights were darker, so it's a little more of an eerie situation. But then, like other moments where, where it's like, yeah, like, are we outside, like, Goneril and Regan's castle, or are we inside? Like, where are we in this situation? So I think if they had done a little bit more there, because I mean, I think, like, the nice thing is they have that set, like, the festival set allows you to bring stuff on. And I can't, I couldn't tell if they had the upper balcony available to, to add another layer, dimensional layer to the top part. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get a clear view if they had that available to them. I think if you have lack of set too in any production, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of abnormal to see lack of set on in mm-hmm. a theater, right? So yeah. if you have that, you need the set pieces you do have or lack thereof, there needs to be an intimate relationship with that set piece or mm-hmm. with a movement sequence or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that just comes to mind is 
um, Mervish's Mervish's staging of Hamilton, which I'm assuming is quite like all the other stages of Hamilton, but oh, yeah. they're always interacting with their like the minimalist set, yeah. right? And like mm -hmm. it, it's a very intimate um, relationship, and so. Mm -hmm. The fact that it kind of goes in and out with this production mm -hmm. in that respect, um, mm -hmm. that was just another factor that kind of took me out every once in yeah. a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how about you? Is there a particular piece of production that, that you would say didn't quite hit I, its mark for you? Yeah, I would say that the production elements were all really good. Like, mm -hmm. great. There was my, mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts of the, as a whole, one of my favorite parts of. Right. of the production um but i personally mm -hmm. prefer whenever shakespeare is performed i personally prefer a space and players so i love the set mm -hmm. I, I thought the set was was awesome uh where it's just them and their description or, or, or whatever's behind them or yep. around them mm -hmm. now the, what i thought was the weakest <laughs> and it's not that weak when i when i say yeah. this, i think it's still great Mm -hmm. um, what I think was the weakest was the lighting. And mm -hmm. the reason being is because with the, and when we get into themes, like the biggest theme yeah. clear is the storm and yeah. this oncoming storm. Mm -hmm. And I like the, the color choices that they had, mm -hmm. but I think the placement of some of the, of some of the light or some of the, uh, colors was mm -hmm. maybe, uh, put it in put it a different arrangement. So mm -hmm. instead of having it where they have that, you know, sort of morning uh, uh, orange in the beginning. Right. Yes. I would, I would have, I mean, I would have cut that out. I would have had mm -hmm. it where the, they have that, that very sort of bleak color yeah. throughout where you see most mm -hmm. of the people on. Mm -hmm. And then in moments where Lear is starting to get, go starting to show hints of madness where the sound plays in the background, the lights also dim that blue from the storms, right? Very mm. slowly. Yeah. And then after the storm, because we have that wonderful moment with, uh, with, uh, Lear and Gloucester when they come to their realization, right? After Gloucester goes blind, after Lear, mm -hmm. like, kind of succumbs to his madness and he's like, yeah. Oh, it's like we had to go through all this just to realize this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That that yeah. should probably be the only moment where, mm -hmm where the there's a breath of fresh air where things clear up mm -hmm. right um and i i think that because it comes after the the storm i think that would just contrast so beautifully with yeah. one another where mm -hmm. you know you see the madness but the thing to take away from for an audience to take away from is that scene with lear and gloucester mm -hmm. not not the scene because they they like that's the that is sort of the highlight um, when it comes to the lighting is mm -hmm. the storm because that one yeah. is just so distinguished from the rest. Mm -hmm. I think if it had the the, the sort of morning like fresh air like atmosphere that it has in the beginning and and in the forest scene when they're mm -hmm. outside, uh, right mm -hmm. after the storm and in that moment with Gloucester and and Lear, that it would have that it would, I think there we would have known what to take away from right that this mm -hmm. is the morning after and then yeah bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah ryan what about you i don't know i was kind of overall quite impressed with the production elements i was sort of hard pressed to think of like i've already said i quite enjoyed the lights the sound i even thought the set 
the minimal set worked with them. They used it well. I mm -hmm. thought the spatial relations were good. One thing, I feel like this is more of a directorial than like a strictly production thing, but I'll mm -hmm. say it anyway. Yeah. And I, I say it's more directorial because I don't really think it's the actor's fault for mm -hmm. the thing I'm taking issue with here, but it's the the Kent Oswald relationship. I, yes, ah, yes. I, I yes. want to talk about that a bit. All um, right, let's talk about it. Let's get into yeah. it. So much like how I think the as I commented on a few times earlier, like the you know, the Edgar Edmund relationship is sort of flipped from the traditional way and like the Goneril and Regan are maybe made more sympathetic than usual. I feel like Kent, who is usually this like moral center of the play, this upstanding loyal to the king, a man, I think and I feel like this was a deliberate choice as I'm watching it. It feels like he was trying to be framed as in the wrong most of the time. Okay. And like uh, the actor Jonathan Goad who played him, yes. like he had like a real interesting cowboy kind of like demeanor that I've never <laughs> seen taken to the character before. But yeah, yeah. But I, I found this got frankly a little uncomfortable in like his scenes with Oswald and yeah. Because Oswald is supposed to be like this real sniffling, you know, cowardice, but also like partly evil, like minion who you're not supposed yeah. to like. You're supposed to just like hate him the second you see him. You're but right. the actor whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, oh, I got it. 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 Mike Newton Thomas. I cannot pronounce his last name. Okay, well him. <laughs> Our apologies if you're watching. But yes. yeah, like he did, he did like nothing wrong in his performance. He just played the role like. But I didn't hate him at all. And in his, you know, there's like that moment early on where like Kent like beats him down and like yells at yeah. him and berates him. And I'm sorry if this is going to get a little political for a moment, but the fact no. that an actor of color is cast in this role yeah. and then mm -hmm. not, and then like, I'm not saying, oh, they should have made him awful because obviously but it just felt very uncomfortable that i feel like yeah. we're supposed to root for the white man who's beating him for no reason yeah no very true very true like, I, like if anything I, yeah. yeah no go ahead go yeah well i just saw it as if we're looking at themes of lear mm -hmm. um i saw i saw this production just give us what is sort of inherent <laughs> and that the addition was that, that scene, um, or that relationship where I think it's a commentary on racism, if I'm, if I'm I, being blunt. I feel like it's supposed to be, but I don't know what it's trying to comment, if that's the it case. It feels out of place. It feels out <laughs> yeah. of place. To it's me. the wrong character to do it with. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You could probably do something a lot more interesting with a, like a black Edgar and a white Edmund, maybe, and like, Ooh, right. or yeah. whereas like, that, yeah. yeah or vice versa, yeah, just, mm -hmm. I, I think Oswald is kind of, he's, there's not enough to him even on the page that he can be used yeah. as that right. symbol yeah. for that, and if you, especially I, Kent and Edgar as our two heroic characters are the ones who beat him and then kill him in Edgar's case, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, unnerved by this, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that because in this, I think in the entire script, um, or maybe they cut it out, uh, but I think that is the only character that is referred to as a slave. Yeah, many right? times. Which many is times. <laughs> and, I, and, and if I'm to guess what the intention was, was like it is this sort of, I guess, kind of allegory towards, you know, prejudice and mm -hmm. whatnot and to show that this is wrong. But it, it like you said, it, the scene just doesn't, those two, those two characters, those, that's those scenes just, mm -hmm. I don't find they lend themselves to that. 
Yeah. So I felt that it was out of place. And this was the first time kind I just... of take you out of the year, the, the, the play. entirety, the composition. Yeah. yeah. This was the first time that I've seen anything Lear related where I did not like Kent as a person. And I think, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's Jonathan Goat's fault in like the portrayal. Right. I just think there is something weird. And I think the dynamic with Oswald had a lot yeah. to do with that. I, I think that's definitely a directorial sort of mm -hmm. note. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like uh, I'll piggyback on that. Like I found Kent to not be over, like, well, almost, he's almost an enabler to Lear's bad behavior. Cause like mm -hmm. Lear, I can't. I can't remember the exact sequence of that scene, but it, but but does Lear hit him first, uh, Oswald, and then Kent picks that up, yeah. or is, or is it the other way around where Kent starts and Lear kind of joins think, in with them? And I think Lear kind of shoes him away, maybe, and then Kent really mm -hmm. goes for the. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, yeah, like that's something I didn't like it, especially watching it like my second time because I watched this uh, three times, but like watching it the second time where I focused on him some more. I was like, yeah, like Kent is not great in this situation. Like he is enabling Lear's bad behavior. Yeah, and like that's really an interpretation, it... certainly yeah. like that the directorially and actingly mm -hmm. they can make. But yeah. if you lose what I think is the moral center of the play, and that is usually Kent, yeah. you kind of have you, Oswald certainly doesn't replace that role. Like if that's mm -hmm. the commentary, yeah. kind of makes it yeah. like mm -hmm. we lose something important. I think. Well, Kent has that great line, which is like the be better Lear, like after yeah. he's kind of chastised Cordelia and this kind yes. of turned her out and Kent is really trying to get through. And then he has his total disguised character where it's like, where is this person? It's almost like he's two different people <laughs> where, where I, I didn't see the former Kent of the first scene later on. So I actually had to go back and make sure I wasn't, it wasn't like a double cast. Yeah, like he had the like, long wig on in that first scene, yeah. so when he comes back in disguise, that's all that's missing. But... Yeah, he confused me a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but especially since we commented earlier that there might have been something a little lacking in the portrayal of Cordelia. Mm -hmm. Those two characters are really the ones that you need to get down pat, and that's why Kent is the one that comes to Cordelia's defense at the beginning, because right. We are right and Lear's in the wrong is like the big yeah. neon sign that hangs above both of them. Mm -hmm. And there's right. something's a little lacking with both of them. Mm -hmm. Can't ask a column to pick up the slack for everyone. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's true. For sure. Jill, any comments on Kent and Oswald and and all, and all that good stuff. Just uh, agreeing with that and also not reading or um, seeing this production before, I, I kind of just glazed over those characters. It's like, oh, these characters mm -hmm. aren't the most important mm -hmm. plot points. Yeah. So I'm yeah. just kind of gonna just be entertained, but not yeah. um, fully focused on their relationship. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I feel like it could have definitely been deeper yeah. or different. Well said, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, mm -hmm. so overall do we think this production hit the mark will we recommend it to other non-shakespearean people shakespearean people like is this is this a version of lear we would we would want to recommend to to our friends and other peoples i would definitely say yes mm -hmm. i think even from an actor's point of view or you know or having actors watch this production because yeah. similar to going back to talking about the minimalist set um and it's not that I didn't like it. It's just uh, the relationship with it was a little bit wonky here and there mm -hmm. for me. But um, uh, going back to what Ed was saying, I think that's so important to kind of just when you strip everything away, like it's, mm -hmm. again, I've used this word countless amount of times, but it's the rawness, real, like earthy vibe to it that I think mm -hmm. a lot of actors will benefit watching, especially mm -hmm. um, sort of 
just in that alone modernizes Shakespeare in a way too, which I think is important. And yes. just to kind of like piggyback on that, I love the uh, the level of staging, the levels, the levels that the staging took. So like at the mm -hmm. top of the show, there was more standing and even utilizing that back level, like that yeah. was used a lot. And then as mm -hmm. the play went on, things literally stepped forward or down. So like mm -hmm. characters started sitting on the ground or like yeah. only using the, the mm -hmm. main stage as opposed to the levels. Mm -hmm. And then you literally got that Gloucester and King Lear mm -hmm. on sitting in the floor, like children almost, or, yeah. you know, or like, like the, um, connections of people to um, mm -hmm. strengthened as the piece went on to an intimacy yeah. or a physicality point of view. And then even, even with the, the sisters, right? Like they stand yeah. regal at the top of the um, stage, mm -hmm. upstage. And then as they move downstage, literally um, yeah. they're sitting on the step and like lean. So I just feel yeah. like it's, it's a really good depiction of utilizing levels in a piece yeah. which i think is important too mm -hmm. so um yeah it never felt static mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was really brilliant how they used and even like edmund dies like splayed like at the bottom of the stage yeah too, right so there's that whole um so definitely from from like an actor point of view to see this piece and i even think from like a layman's point of view too or someone who's not familiar with Shakespeare. Um, mm -hmm. There's enough moments and pieces in this that just showcase the mm -hmm. trials and tribulations of humanity that I think yeah. will hit home with a lot of people, regardless of what your background is. And yeah. the intimacy and the emotion um, that is exuded, especially by Combe, but the, the whole cast itself. Mm -hmm. And that this, there's sparks too, you know, like Maeve, whipping around and like shooting a, a line as opposed to just like saying it you know there's different right. there's ebbs and flows in the piece too that I yeah think everyone everyone can get a little tidbit of something from mm -hmm. fantastic ed yeah. anything would anything you like to piggyback on is this production you'll recommend to your other shakespearean friends to watch <laughs> definitely definitely i think it is worth watching um the reason why uh, i think it is worth watching and if the mark is to tell the story of Lear, I think it has been told. But I do believe that there is more that could have been extracted from from the play. Like I said, I think like I said earlier, I think this production just plays with the, you know, inherent themes of betrayal and yeah. that chaos, the authority, and you know, I, I think mm -hmm. I think the things that are kind of given, they they run with that. Yeah, um, but I do think it's I do think it's it is something for people who aren't familiar with Shakespeare, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I was able to follow along with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My experience with uh, Shakespeare productions outside of outside of a school setting have just been mm -hmm. sort of it's very it, it can be very difficult to follow along. So yeah. mm -hmm. the, the the actors did an amazing job in interpreting the lines and mm -hmm. you know guiding us along the story mm -hmm. that is unfolding, even if you miss certain um nuances right that yeah. that yeah even if you miss certain nuances like you still mm -hmm. understand what's happening you yeah, still yeah. understand the general mm -hmm. moods of each scene and where yeah. one is leading to the next so mm -hmm. i think yeah i think it is worth worth watching um mm -hmm. and it, it is digestible and that mm -hmm. uh and that it does tell the story of lear fantastic ryan how about yeah. you is it is, is, is this one as a TA you would show to your students? I, I think this is actually the ideal type of production I would show the students. Sadly, mm -hmm. this only has 
three weeks on YouTube before they take it away and we're already well into week two. I don't know what when it'll even be when this goes live that we're recording right now. But You can yeah. watch it on iTunes. You can also rent it for, for, from there as well as Broadway HD has, has a copy of it. So it is available. Yeah, like platforms. But why I say I think this is kind of the ideal type of production, if not this production specifically, but but this production falls into this type of production, obviously. Yeah. Uh, back, I was saying this to you before we started recording, but I'm a real sucker for just like a straightforward, faithful, fancy dress, non-wonky type of production yeah. of any kind of Shakespeare play. Like, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy Lepage's Coriolanus next week because mm -hmm. I like wonky too, and I like yeah. Lepage's, you know, scenography. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think there's anything that can really compare to just yes this is the play we have respect for it we don't think we can outsmart it by doing something bold and yeah. just presenting it as it is and mm -hmm. while i may have been hard on some specific elements of the production earlier yeah. in our discussion i think overall it was a great success the acting Fantastic. was designs yeah. were all great and i yeah. yeah i felt things for the characters that i've seen many times before so i think that Fantastic. kind of says, yeah Perfect. Okay, so now there. So now I um. So I did some reading and watched all the extra videos that Anthony Chimilino and this in the festival put uh, put out. So some of the themes and things that they were really trying to highlight was, for example, homelessness and poverty. Um, do we feel they hit that more? Because we see that at the very beginning, there's kind of those popperish people out, out on stage where they get shooed away, and we also see like Edgar in his moment where he becomes uh, poor Tom, where he's kind of taken in by by the other impoverished people we see that with lear and the whole idea of him being turned out into the storm yeah, can i start this one yes please. i'd love to start this one because uh, yes, i have Ryan, thoughts on you this can lead, you can lead the way on this particular i topic. totally get where they're going with that mm -hmm. but i don't think it succeeded and i think it fundamentally could not succeed and i think that's for one simple reason that these people are all super rich this <laughs> is royalty like even if you know yeah. they spend a night out in the storm and night pretending to be poor tom like they're gonna return to their castles maybe yes. Lear doesn't because he dies shortly after but like yeah. like i don't feel like this play can be a meditation on what homelessness really yeah. means in the very pragmatic sense of there yeah. are people without yeah. home. because lear has a home he just can't put his thousand nights in it like <laughs> it's, it's true. Like it's true. I almost like Edgar's Edgar's Tarzan look. Like I, I didn't see him as being like a caveman. I was like, oh, like you know, he didn't because of his status. I, I couldn't yeah. see him as you mm -hmm. could put as layers and layers of dirt on him. But I, right. I would never not see him as royalty mm -hmm. yeah. or regal. Um. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree with you in that, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I yeah. agree. I, I, I agree. agree. I mean, I mean, calm fior. Did it, I, 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 he talks about it in his pre-show interview where he talks about how reading George Orwell and just trying to study that aspect of it. But Ryan, you're absolutely right. We're like, they're rich people who are who ultimately they're kind royals, of get, they're the richest yeah. of the rich. I so was exactly. actually oh, no. Go ahead. Well, uh, I was actually a bit more put off be, because of the I guess those homeless motifs that they had in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd never seen the play. But I knew that the beginning scene where you first see the homeless gentleman and then you see him at the very end, mm -hmm. I knew that was kind of, I, I, for the life of me, I, I thought, what? It, I, th I think I think he was like the uh, undertaker. I thought he was somebody mm -hmm. that was supposed to, like he was symbolizing, you know, oh, yeah. someone's going to die at the end yeah. and I'm coming to collect the body. 
That's Which kind of does happen stagingly because that homeless figure does show up at the end to exactly. put on Edgar, but he's not there to like bring the deceased Lear and Cordelia to the exactly. next He's there to kind of, and I don't even know what to make of that final gesture where he puts his hand on Edgar's shoulder. Because so Edgar is the fine says the final line of the play. He's yeah. presumably going to be the next king of this land, yeah. and I, the way I would like to charitably read that gesture of the homeless gentleman putting his hand on his shoulder is you may be king now but we are the same but there's yeah. not as i just got done saying mm-hmm. yeah yeah so, yeah or like the fate's in your hands now what are you going to do about it yeah. but again that would have to be pushed out more through the whole yeah. you would have to write dialogue for these homeless characters i think to actually <laughs> communicate that and don't try to outright shakespeare yeah um, yeah I, I agree with you, Ryan. I, I don't think this was the production to have that. Would Would you say that uh, the Tempest you could do that with like Caliban? Yeah, nope. I think. Yeah. Well, because Caliban is already the character that represents yeah. that. Like he's the spirit of the island, who's literally yeah. an indigenous population whose home is taken from him by the colonizing wizard who shows up. Well, there you go. <laughs> we'll get into the Tempest. We'll save the Tempest. Yeah. We'll save yeah. Our tempest <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think if you want to look at another thing about homelessness, you look at Timon of Athens. Mm-hmm. Which, which we often compared to. We will. We will. Which yeah. we'll get to. But that's also very much a companion piece. Because it's all both about two old men who end up in the wilderness together. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, another thing Antonio brought up is that he, he wanted to represent the daughters as the eldest who is vulnerable representing the past. The middle daughter, uh, Reagan, representing the present, and the youngest, Cordelia, representing the future to Lear. Do we think that that came across in the in, in the show that these three daughters represent these three different time periods for Lear? Can I start? Yes, Jill. You are um, the more than welcome to start. So I think one of the three succeeded okay, uh, which fully. One? And mm-hmm. I think, again, um, Lisa Rapot Martel as Reagan in the present. Yes. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. she was always grounded, mm-hmm. like feisty from the, she, she never wavered, you know, she yeah. was like, it, anytime she was on stage, she was on stage, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, I, I, I didn't, uh, then the next I would say would be um, Maeve, Maeve Beattie as Gonroll, yeah. which she, she just, Maeve has the beauty of holding sort of like a stoic vibe mm-hmm. of herself anyways. Mm-hmm. And yeah. her being the eldest, like that, she portrays that beautifully. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but in contrast to Reagan, I didn't. Yeah. I felt like that could have been more um, discovered, rather. And right. then with, mm-hmm. I did not feel at all with Cordelia being the future. Mm-hmm. And again, I yeah. think it's that initial introduction of Cordelia and the fact mm-hmm. that she sort of disobeys what her father wants to hear. That's where you can sort sort of go on her path of representing like future or, or different than the now and tradition mm-hmm. but it didn't spark for me so the, that whole fire wasn't wasn't lit for me yeah no <laughs> very very true ryan and ed do you have some so i i, I kind of do and don't agree i guess i well, on one hand, it's much like the homelessness idea we were just talking about. I feel like this is maybe trying to graft something onto the play that's not really there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, to me, like, 
all of them are Lear's juniors, because obviously he sired them. Um, right. So to try to say that any one of them is like the past in relation to like, no, they're all they're all in their own way, just I think different trajectories of what the future could be or the present yeah. could be. I think Cordelia feels like the obvious one that should be the future, but yeah. the fact that she dies very unceremoniously the future still goes on without her. Um, yeah. So, like, I think Edgar is, of all the characters, the one who represents the future because he is the youngest mm -hmm. surviving character and the one who's the presumed next in line for the throne. Right. Um, but yeah, like, Goneril and Regan, to me, by no fault of anyone, they just felt like they were very, mm -hmm. temporally speaking, to use this metaphor, on very similar footing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just feel like it was an interesting idea that I don't know what could have been done to manifest it. Right. For sure. Ed, what about you? So the the intent was to have each daughter represent those segments of time in reference to Lear, correct? Right. Yes. Um, that, that, yes. That's what you know talked about. Yeah. I don't I don't think it hit the mark mm -hmm. at all really. Um mm -hmm. I think yeah, like Ryan was saying, uh, I agree, you know, the obvious is Cordelia, um, mm -hmm. but I think the daughters, I think the best thing they could represent, and like any child does represent, is legacy, mm -hmm. and how that legacy was just sort of snuffed out by the person leading it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, you're destroying his own legacy. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite hit the mark for me. I think it would have been... Like I said, if Cordelia was a stronger character in the beginning, you saw the the promise of a kingdom in her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because you know Lear's favorite daughter. Uh, I mean, you, and you could stage it. And I think it would be really interesting if she was staged as center, and then right. Lear was put to the side. Right? right. And then you could probably get that sense, a clear sense of future. Right. Um, with Cordelia, but with the other daughters, since yeah, they're all kind of pining for the future mm -hmm. they're all wanting yeah. the kingdom uh mm -hmm. it just didn't yeah it didn't hit the mark for me mm -hmm. yeah perfect okay um are there any other themes or motifs that we want to discuss i mean obviously we've talked about how the weather kind of builds throughout the first part of the show leading up to the tempest that we see um at the start of uh, i guess after their intermission because they put their intermission right before the storm Mm -hmm. um but yeah we saw the that build. The storm <laughs> exactly exactly we had that i mean i mean and we saw them kind of exploring the idea of the defiant children becoming the good leader where like you have edgar at the top as kind of the drunken womanizing man who then also becomes implied the next in line for the throne cordelia becomes queen of france um after being defiant to her father and just kind of making a way in the world without him so there, I think that's an interesting theme they brought up. I think something to un there. unpack too, um, mm -hmm. while we're on the topic of themes and motifs and stuff. Yeah. Again, I actually wrote down verbatim the quote uh, shared the interview with Coleman Antony, um, mm -hmm. like the whole idea of this production and arguably the play, I guess, too, is experiencing mm -hmm. true love. Um, mm -hmm. And Anthony was saying about it's about the journey to try to understand what love is and experience mm -hmm. true love in our lives. Mm -hmm. And then Coleman immediately responded with, and of course, not under, not understanding how it's done until it's too late. Mm -hmm. And right. it was just, I get what they were saying, um, mm -hmm. but I, I don't, I, that wasn't fleshed out for me in the mm -hmm. production. Like I, mm -hmm. 
it definitely underbellied a lot of mm -hmm. moments and and characters right. but um and i think it's beautiful how they both phrased their um their whole purpose or, or backing behind the production but i just i i didn't see this being a, a play that discovers that or or unpacks that and maybe that's that's exactly the point but right um, well if we're looking at what the actual love in question is i think we're supposed to think it's the love between lear and cordelia but that existed prior to the events of the play yeah a bit of a stumble yeah. during the entire plot and then is recaptured at the end but oh no yeah. it's too late mm -hmm. so like yeah it's again just another case of i think we're trying to graft ideas that this play isn't the best suited mm -hmm. for onto this play yeah. Yeah. every relationship is so mm -hmm. political in this piece i yeah. find like it's never based on on love and intimacy mm -hmm. and even when it is it's very crass and in your face mm -hmm. um you know, it's like, that's not a tender kiss or that's not like a, yeah. a loving exchange. It's, yeah. it's all business, right? And mm -hmm. so it just kind of puts a little sour, sour taste yeah. in my mouth too, because if it's about experiencing true love, but that to me, the idea of that didn't, wasn't yeah. present at all in, in the piece. Mm -hmm. It makes, it makes sense to me now why they had so many kissing, so many, so many kisses in the, in the, in the play, in the production. Mm -hmm. um, that i mean i was just kind of off put by the by the kissing not that i hate kissing um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite pastime um, <laughs> it's uh it was just it was just a bit it was just a bit sort of out of out of place for me i don't think it was mm -hmm. i i think if if the kisses were to be done it, it, it would have been i wouldn't even know i yeah i i, I wouldn't i True love. I didn't. I didn't see it all that. I didn't see that as the driving force behind. I don't. I don't. If even if I were to read it, I wouldn't. I don't think I would feel that that would could be a driving force behind mm -hmm. King Lear yeah. play. I guess there's one glimpse of a little sprinkling of true love, or maybe it's just my my opinion. Yeah. But I Your I wrote optimism. in my notes: <laughs> the King of France is a boss he takes cordelia for who she actually is which I, in one moment he does that and quite yeah. possibly never again yeah we don't see him at all in the rest of the play even with her <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the tiniest little sprinkle but yeah. there was a moment of like oh whoa these people are like he's actually seeing her potentially yeah. for what she's worth yeah maybe mm -hmm. it's false or not but that was like the only time in the play where I was kind of able to meditate on something like that, you know, where someone's mm -hmm. actually seeing someone for, or trying to get to know the true person behind the mask. Yes. And yeah. I would, yeah, I would like to add just that Carl Ang, who played the role of the King of France, he like, he's in one scene, but he owned it and like, he leads oh, the- Oh my God, through. I was like the King yeah. of France, yeah. Yes. Like, I, I like that he didn't try to play it with like an air of Francophilia in a way. Yeah. Of, <laughs> I'm the King of France, deal with it. Yeah. He, yes. he was happy to, you know, he scolded yeah. Burgundy, who was you know, like a sneak nibbling. Who was beautifully in dressed in Burgundy. Yeah, so yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So now we head into some of our special of King Lear specific questions where we will kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive into the play itself. So production wise, it was fantastic. We can, and we can infer some things from the production in our answers to these questions. But the first one, which I think people always ask is, what do we think King Lear's mental state is? Uh, I have a very different interpretation of it. So I'll leave that to the end. But I want to hear some of yours first. Uh, uh, Ryan, why don't we start with you? 
as our resident TA. Well, yeah, um, I, I will say one that I am no expert in like degenerative mental illnesses. So <laughs> I, nor I, am I. I don't claim any authority on that matter. Um, also, I am not really a, a, I guess, psychoanalytic critic here, so I don't want to say what? no. God darn it, Ryan, you're out. We're, 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 we're shutting you off. Like, I think, and obviously in Shakespeare's time, they didn't have a very kind of comprehensive grasp yeah. on the type of mental illnesses that we can now read on it. So if everything's a madness of fever. Well, yeah, madness yeah. fever, uh, an imbalance of the humors that just, you know, yeah. cut some blood marks on yourself and that'll cure it all. So, uh, <laughs> like, they clearly the medical science wasn't there, but what may yeah. have been there, like, if there's any inspiration of that in the writing of this text i think it's just from observation of seeing right. these kind of figures whether they're men in power like lear or just any man mm -hmm. uh, you know succumbing to these you know illnesses also mm -hmm. i think on one of the talks earlier they mentioned that uh column's a little young to be playing this role but they also yeah. added that richard burbage was who played the role originally at the globe back in shakespeare's time was 40 ish when he played it yeah. so and i think that actually probably considering what life expectancies were at that time that was old yeah most people weren't living long enough to experience the types of degenerative mm -hmm. mental yeah. illnesses that we now know will come with much greater age so mm -hmm. maybe there actually was more of a what we would consider a young man but in that time mm -hmm. yeah definitely I would actually love, this is kind of just like even a personal thing of mine, nobody steal this. You can if you want, I'm sure someone's done it already. But I would love to do a version of this play as director where Lear is like in his 40s and the, yeah. all the daughters and like Edmund and Edgar are all played by literal children. <laughs> no, but like it seems comical, but it actually is probably more accurate to the way these characters would, yeah. and it would yeah. very much hammer home right. the idea of the future versus the past mm. yeah. in a way. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but Jill wants it, to. It, I, I, yeah, I, I think definitely give an interesting point of view. Jill, what say it's you? Um, just saying, I think Colm did a really good job. I have a psych minor, but I'm no expert of yeah. like that kind of things either. But I also uh, have lost three of my four grandparents and mm -hmm. two of them sort of went down similar to how I saw Lear projected on mm -hmm. stage. Um, so I think he did a really good job of, of adding a ton of color to Lear's mm -hmm. um, mental state because I, mm -hmm. I, it's almost like he mixed uh, like somewhat of like a bipolar-esque way with dementia um yeah. you know and, and it it made it so there's so many more layers to go into mm -hmm. because like it, his state of mind initially is his state mm -hmm. of mind but then you add the age on top of it um you know he's suffering in more ways than one kind of mm -hmm. thing um and i just props to Colm for um acting the crap out of that because mm -hmm. and uh he did a real like the physicality he put into you know the mind is one thing and the way he delivers mm -hmm. verbally is one thing but i think it, the true winner here is the physicality he put into himself um to showcase that and to show the difference between are you having a blackout or are your you know synapse mm -hmm. <laughs> not communicating you know like there was a mm -hmm. difference in how he carried yeah. himself yeah. and i think it because he added such like a breadth to mm -hmm. it, um, 
anybody like so many people have different interpretations about Lear, you know, and who he is, you know, what, what mm -hmm. his mind is doing, what's true, yeah. what's false. And he, he created a really nice palette, I think, for people mm -hmm. to make their own opinion on yeah. the matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what is your opinion on the mental state of Lear? So I think not a psych guy. Um, mm -hmm. I think logically or scientifically that it is probably schizophrenia. Um, there's a lot of, and I, I wouldn't know what type or, I mean, very severe. He's, he's obviously seeing things that aren't there or he is um, disfiguring reality. Mm -hmm. um, and how offended he is in his daughter's absence of love, though mm -hmm. there is no absence of love, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a very subtle sort of distortion of reality. And then, mm -hmm. art, and artfully, sim symbolically, I think, and I think that's the that's the true madness is that it's mm -hmm. him outliving his wisdom. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was actually yeah. going to say to um, going back to piggybacking off of that I like mm -hmm. uh, this character is, is a, a typical character for me that is is out of place in a sense of like born in the wrong time or mm. like an old soul you know yeah. where it's just, it's just like you may not be wrong but the circumstances that are placed upon you or that you find yourself in yeah um they just will not align with you. And it's, it's sad. Like, and there's mm -hmm. so many characters that are like that. Like I'm thinking of like Angie and top girls or, you know, mm -hmm. it's just staring away Shakespeare wise, but Shakespeare's every play mm -hmm. has like one yeah. of these characters arguably, but mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's that oddball or there's something that to the social norm is wrong, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not, it's just, mm -hmm. yeah. And just, yeah. A, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, I think that's an excellent point because, and I think if you were in that time when Shakespeare was coming out with plays one after the other, that this would have been a really interesting beginning to see because mm -hmm. all of his dukes love him. Mm -hmm. All, all the, mm -hmm. pretty much everyone, and Edmund doesn't specifically say that he hates Lear. It's his, it's his dad that he hates. Yeah. Um, uh, everybody loves Lear. And in so many of Shakespeare's tragedies, the royal, um uh ruler? are yeah. usually are usually trying to uh uh fell the king or their son or right it's like they're usually mm -hmm. against one another but they're they're in the beginning they love Lear and Lear is this Lear is uh oh no I'm talking myself to a circle <laughs> what was it that you yeah. said again? Um, yeah no for sure I I I, I get where you're going. Yeah and yeah yeah nodding I, I, talking nodding to the staging um like hats off to the staging again in a sense of I actually got goosebumps in the moments where the, the very beginning again poem this is starting his palette off but he was very switchy in the beginning like mm -hmm. cool as a cucumber and then like bam like this happens yeah. or like whoa what did you just say yeah. like why did you just mm -hmm. say that so it was a beautiful stark introduction yeah. yeah and then the staging of it was I I got teary because it's like all the characters are standing very like stoic and just like not they don't understand like there's no way you immediately yeah. know from the beginning there's no way that they can help him or right. they yeah. will have no idea what's going on in his head mm -hmm. and he already mm -hmm. it paints this production painted a really good picture of like this guy is going on a hell of a trip or a journey and like no one is going to 
like people will be by his side and like you know mm-hmm. similar to the fool and Webster and blah 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 but no one will ever actually be able to access what's happening and so right. I just remember him being very flippant and like animalistic and all the other humans are just like standing there watching like it was mm-hmm. there was just a total divide of mm-hmm. of um comprehension and, and right. just yeah, yeah. So talk about like temporal moods like there was a total span yeah. of time you were in two different mm-hmm. places at once essentially yeah yeah Lear is definitely seen I, I think seen at his wisest in the beginning and is wise when he is mm-hmm. you know in the torrents of madness yeah i have to disagree with you that he's wise at the beginning well he's seen as wise oh right? he's seen at okay, yeah because yeah. 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 okay. i mean when he starts to lose his mind people just start like what the f-? well yeah like right. it's the the kind of great you know tagline of this play that mm-hmm. lear loses his mind but gains his wisdom mm-hmm. or loses his mind and gains his heart yeah. And, yeah you know that gloucester loses his eyes and suddenly he can see which son yeah the one that betrayed him, which one was loyal. So, you know, there's all these yeah. fun, you know, Oedipal yeah. reversals yeah. in terms of the blindness. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, for me, I think, I, I, for Lear, I don't, I, I don't like that they said, like, people have, like, he has either, like, a stroke or dementia, because I think it gives Lear a way out. For me, I see Lear yeah. as just a man who is aging. I mean, like, seeing with, like, my grandfather, who at 93 is still trying to run a company with my mother. Uh, like, like there's a lot in there where it's just like you see they're going from say this the sixth stage of man of a, a man to the seventh where he's going into this childlike state where we see this with the elderly where they think they can still be the in charge and try and run things and then they get frustrated either their families or PSWs and they'll lash out either physically or verbally and and then the next minute they're remorseful so people saying he's slipping between madness I just go I think he's more just aging and he's becoming this child again. As Shakespeare yeah. would describe it, and it, and and it's not so much of oh well he had a stroke and that's justifying why he does what he does. It's like no, he's just what well, we're seeing now with a lot of elderly, where it's like they're frustrated with their life and their situation, where they're where 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 they're just becoming dependent and they don't want to become dependent. And it's like yeah, yeah I get it. Like I, it, it sucks sometimes that you have to depend on your children for things. But like if your daughter says, "I'm sorry, Dad, you can't have 200 people." come stay with me for how many months of the year and he's like well screw you i'm going out in the storm yeah. like, well that's lear's fault that's not gone or fault. like it's the whole thing of like they're trying to be in charge like, like they're trying to move forward with things I, after he's been like okay yeah i'm giving it up i'm retiring and he's like ah kids kidding i'm actually just gonna try and rule the room yeah. like, no dad sorry you can't have it both you can't have your cake and eat it too yeah so for me i just go yeah, Lear, like he's a fascinating character. Where it's like, yeah, you sure you can play him with like a stroke. Now, Colin Fiore clearly was going more in that dementia uh, route, where like there's one moment where he's banging his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The head smacker. I'm like, okay, clearly you're going more. She's on the... Yeah. 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 yeah like, clearly you're going more with the mental uh, health side of things, which is great. But for me, I just watched that and I went, I just see Lear as someone who's just aging and is not aging well. Because some people do age gracefully. Yeah. People age into that retirement. Most actors who play Lear age gracefully. Lear but, himself yeah. does not. As someone <laughs> like to kind of piggyback off that Mac too, like mm-hmm. that idea, like yes, literally it can it yeah. can show he's going the mental mm-hmm. health route, but also just like physicalizing the frustration that you're explaining yeah, absolutely. that elderly yeah. folk go through as, mm-hmm. as a, like a pers- a personal perfect example. Um mm-hmm. my only grandparents left my grandma she's like mm-hmm. a, was a clean bill of health her whole 
her whole life and she's coming up on 86 and she just got hit with cancer like this past year and she was someone that like she was on the golf course like two years ago right and so um she's always aged gracefully and then this hit her you know and then now with with us being in the middle of a pandemic too and that's adding a layer of of loneliness Mm -hmm. and difference and stuff like that too so I think something like um again props to poem for creating this palette like that physicalization of frustration and and something that can happen Mm -hmm. like my grandmother it's such a stark thing that it's like yeah you've had everything and then it's it's gone or it's different or it's changing um and there's really you just it, that frustration has to go somewhere right and it's like yes he, his mind is his is his is his only friend but also yeah. his enemy yeah. too right so like exactly. quite literally he's like help me out here or like yes. screw you yes. like yeah i no, feel exactly. as though i feel as though lear was supposed to die before this play started and that mm. he just continued to live and just kind of going off of what you were saying Right. Uh, where it's like he's just sort of out, out, outgrown his time. Yeah. That uh, and that I think, out of necessity, he had to, or he has to, because he had three daughters, not a son. Right. And in the beginning, I don't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. He's not choosing an an heir per se. No. He's just dividing his property. Children. Yeah, yeah. His property. Yeah, he's dividing he's his not... property, and it's also on the day of his of of his daughter Cordelia choosing a husband. So he kind of steals the spotlight from him. Yeah. Again, that elderly kind of. Control the room, yeah. control the situation. And that yeah. like, that's like that's a really good point that you brought up that he should have maybe died before. And like that first act of the play is something that usually only happens after a death yeah. is dividing a property. But like he even says himself that he does so to avoid strife between the sisters after yeah. he's gone. So or yeah. to prevent future strife. And I think that's very interesting because it's precisely his act of doing this prematurely that creates the strife. Not between the sisters, although that comes later. (laughs) (laughs) But him trying to get ahead of the curve is what causes everything that goes wrong in this play. Yeah. (laughs) So continuing on with our exploration of Lear the character, uh, our next kind of question to all of us is, is is Lear a character we should, as an audience, pity? Like, is this someone that we're we're supposed to be, like, feeling, oh... Like the like a, a, a Lear, like a poor Lear, this sucks for Lear, or is this something where it's the other way? I mean, do you want to be? A, I mean, you want to kick off, or I can start with my thoughts. Well, we, Matt, well, you start. You start what? with your thoughts. You start with your. Yeah, you okay, sure. Yeah, you're always so so kind. Let's go first. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll say no. I mean, I don't pity Lear. Like when he dies, I'm like, okay, yeah, it sucks for him, but like it's his own undoing. As Ryan points out, this all spins out from a trivial. How many like I I I I problem with Lear where like it's his choice to go out in the tempest where they're like listen you can stay with me but you're only gonna get fifty people and he's like oh no I'm gonna go to the other daughter and it's like oh well well in that case you're only gonna get twenty five and for him and for him it's like you I, 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 you cause your own problems here Lear because like right away you, you know that he's pitted these girl these these daughters against each other repeatedly throughout their history where eventually yeah. they've now figured out his game and they're now forming a united front like gone on regan for like i can understand why they do what they do at the beginning because it's like if throughout the whole like because he calls cordelia his favorite <laughs> and so you got to think like throughout the rest of his time as ruler he's probably told them that many a time that cordelia is my favorite so then to be like hey now tell me how much you love me and they're, like, they're gonna be like of course we're gonna tell you that which then leads into their thing of later on 
like them kind of winning the day in the beginning, but then it's that problem later on of what do yeah. we do with this man? And do they handle it the best way? No. <laughs> but at the same time, That's there's cool. a lot of but there's a lot of families that don't handle the elderly the way they should and we see that a lot of times nowadays like oh well the oh well like now they're being difficult so we're going to put them in a home and, and not go see them uh but it's that thing of yeah lyric kind of does this to himself and at the end i'm like i don't feel i guess it's sad that he has to carry his daughter and that's tragic that yeah, yeah like like any parent that has to carry a child like a dead child really sad but like throughout the rest of it i'm like Lear, like, 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 you didn't have to be out in the storm. You didn't have to go this way. Well, Mac, if I, can, if I can jump in on that. Yeah, no, Ryan, go. I think it is precisely because this is all so avoidable and that it's Lear's fault is why we do, or at least can, pity him. Mm, because, yeah. like, you know, tragedy isn't good versus evil. Tragedy is good versus good. Um, right. Very to true. paraphrase Hegel. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, like it's the idea that, yes, all of this is unavoidable and it's, you know, his hubris or his, mm -hmm. you know, whatever his flaw, and we can debate what his yeah. specific flaw is in this right. case. Uh, but yeah, the desire to be loved is quite literally what leads to his undoing, his stubbornness. Yeah. And yeah, the fact that, like, I wasn't, you know, criticizing that, oh, these problems are so trivial, therefore we can't pity him. I think it's because, oh, so many things could have gone the other way and none of this would have happened is kind of what makes it hit so hard at the end. And I think yeah. the death of Cordelia is the biggest exemplar of that because mm -hmm. 10 seconds, if they had, like, gotten Edmund in the gut 10 seconds earlier, they probably could have avoided that whole thing. And right. there's actually like restoration versions of this play that rewrote it that Cordelia survives and marries Edgar and all as well. Yes, <laughs> yes there, yeah, that was yeah. a popular version that they performed for a long time before they reinstalled the tragic ending. Mm -hmm. I have like a split uh, view or like a split pity Ooh. on him. Just Dale, like, give us a split view. <laughs> Similar to how the brain kind of goes one way or the other. Um, I, yeah, I find that I don't pity him at all when it comes to like Lear as the father and Lear as the ruler, um, even Lear as like a comrade. I, I think he's arrogant and, and stubborn and, you know, he mm -hmm. shares a lot of negative, negative aspects in that way. But um, Lear as a person by the end of it, I do feel yes. him. And that's something that's always mm -hmm. really interesting in how I read or see plays too. Is I find mm -hmm. that I can dissociate myself from the character and like just mm -hmm. think of the character as a human as opposed to yeah. the plot, like what it, they're serving to the plot. Mm -hmm. So from like a plot perspective, I guess I don't pity him at all. Um, mm -hmm. But from a, a person perspective, like absolutely I do. And I think yeah. it bleeds back into the notion of like this, he's, it's not his fault that he's you know past his time or born mm -hmm. out of his time you know and mm -hmm. that's stuff like that is sad um mm -hmm. to me or or uh definitely has me rooting for people like that yeah um so exactly like by the end with him holding cordelia or even the 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 moments that he's i've said it again is raw and on the ground like when mm -hmm. he's when he's that's like when he's literally on the ground that's when mm -hmm. for me he is grounded you know mm -hmm. any other time that he's standing up it's like again he's floaty he's yeah you know he's speaking off his head or whatever literally um mm -hmm. but when he's when he's on the ground our whole like you know bears everything bears the weight yeah. of everything down it's mm -hmm. you start kind of squeezing out who the person of lear actually is mm -hmm. um 
so yes, yeah, so pity the person, don't pity the plot. Sorry. I get I, I get what you're saying, exactly. Ed, uh, your I like Ryan, on this topic? Yeah, I like what Ryan said. I do believe that, you know, you can pity him. Mm -hmm. And I think what the production was going for was that they want you to pity him. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe the intent should be for Lear to be pitied. Mm -hmm. like, I think, I think, yeah, you can pity him if you like, uh, mm -hmm. if that's what you see. But I don't think the intent should be for him to be pitied. He is a person that drug his or dragged his legacy through the dirt. <laughs> I yeah. think it would have been really interesting if he didn't hold Cordelia on the way in that, you know, symbol of what could have been, um, you know, his his whole legacy in his hands right there. I don't think. I think it would be it would have been really interesting if instead he dragged her body in. In the production they did in the early two thousands with I believe I don't know if it was Christopher Plummer or Peter Hutt, one of them they actually did because the actors couldn't lift Cordelia, yes. they actually did have him drag her drag on her stage. On. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, I think that would have been because it, it just symbolizes that Lear Lear did this onto himself and if. And if we are to learn anything uh, from from Lear and his actions, because I think I think maybe the one moment where we, we like it's appropriate to pity him is when he comes to the realization that oh, I what I did was wrong, yeah, um, and just that. But you know, he if we're if we're to learn something, it's that you know our our actions have consequences, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. this is the mm -hmm. things that unfold cause and effect uh, right of his it's and it's so hard because he's not even fully mad in the beginning yeah no so well no he starts to, out as sane as he can't his level uh, yeah. of sane yeah but just goes down the ladder he's not at the, at the to me he's mad in the sense that it's different mad. Like yeah. his, his madness is like it's difference or like an abnormality. Yeah, you know? I, like I believe I believe in the beginning of the play that it's it's more so pride than madness mm -hmm. that is making Absolutely. him reject yeah, that's a better way to reject it, yeah. Cordelia, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I think it is totally his choice in that matter in that in that matter and in that scene specifically that he rages against Cordelia for what yeah. she says in front of all of his court. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's true. Like his pride is wounded in that yeah. moment. Absolutely. And, and they speaking found for two years, and that's why yeah. the burgundy leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have nothing now. Do you want to marry her? Great. Get out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so speaking of daughters and other characters, the final question of today is do the villains of this piece have valid arguments or reasons for their actions of the show? We already kind of touched on this slightly earlier when we were talking about the performances of these. We roles. did. We, we we did we did lightly touch on it. Can you read uh, that again, Mac? Just so I can fully yeah, digest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The question. The final question is: uh, Do the villains of the piece uh, have valid arguments or reasons for their actions? So and villains I, would be Goneril. Cornwall and Edmonds. Cornwall's yeah. in there. Let's not cut him out of the loop. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Cornwall's in there. Especially in this connection, they really he's point out his. He is in yeah. there. Yeah. He's all up in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to agree with Mac when he had spoken about 
Goneril and yeah. how it was like out of desperation. I feel she was mm -hmm. the strongest. Like I, I still mm -hmm. not trying to contradict my note earlier where it just kind of switches um, mm -hmm. closer towards the end. But I think for the first half into going into the latter, that 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 she does show more valid reason for her actions as opposed yeah. to Edmund or uh, who, who, who was the other one. Uh, uh, Cornwall, who, who, who yeah. was Regan's husband. Yeah, yeah no, I, I just, yeah, 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 as opposed to Edmund and Cornwall. I would say Edmund is third out of those three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, don't, I just don't think, I think there is, that there can be a valid reason. I just don't think mm -hmm. in this particular production that was really <laughs> focused on. I think they just wanted Edmund to be the obvious villain. Mm hmm yeah. I think there's so much like bubbling subtext of tension that every character has in mm -hmm. this play mm -hmm. because of, of Lear's uncertainty and, and he's sort of like the overseer to everyone. Mm -hmm. His That sort of bleeds into all the other characters, I think, because A, they're frustrated with that, but then also mm -hmm. through literal dna you see pockets of lear in all the daughters too yes yeah. um you know like his tenderness in cordelia the fieriness mm -hmm. in reagan mm -hmm. um the sort of like stoic shit done yeah. yeah you know uh, in, in goneril mm -hmm. um so doo -doo, what was i getting at um are they justified in what they oh do? yeah so i feel like yes they are because by sheer mm -hmm. fact of of there's Lear just projects this like arrogance or like this aura yeah. onto everyone. So mm -hmm. you know, like there's only so much a person can can squelch that. You know, when he mm -hmm. he's always there, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so any time they flip off, it's just like they have to they have to release in some shape or form. And others mm -hmm. in this production did it quite grotesquely, but yeah. Um, uh and i just think that's like a nod to to humans too you know mm -hmm. i feel like everyone has when they when they have a tamper a temper or mm -hmm. a temper tantrum or you know it's it's that release of energy that you need to have um yeah. and so I, I don't think i especially like in, in a play or uh mm -hmm. like a script or even like a story uh, there's mm -hmm. um there's definitely some sort of justification mm -hmm for the villain yeah yeah perfect wonderful ryan any 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 last piggybacks onto this topic well something that i think just pervades all of shakespeare's works is no one is ever pure evil or very rarely like shakespeare iago <laughs> well even iago i think you can yeah he's the closest you get certainly but yeah. uh but i think there's always like little embedded justifications and like we were just on our other cup of hemlock series we were talking about merchant of venice just last yeah. night as of this recording and yeah like i think shylock is the type of character that is supposed to be just yep textbook villain you're not supposed to like him but then he's given that speech and you completely do understand his justification yeah. And I think with the exception of maybe Cornwall, that same logic applies to all the villains in this play. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, also like Shakespeare seems very hyper obsessed with legitimacy and yes. bastardy. And like this is, Edmund is just one of the many characters who's like, well, society treats me like a bastard. So therefore I will be a villain like Richard. Yeah. Yeah. 
says yeah. that in his opening monologue of the play quite outrightly. Yeah. Edmonds does it in this play. Uh, Don John doesn't have nearly the same kind of speech in A Much Ado About Nothing, but basically mm -hmm. the same underpinning logic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, King John too. we'll talk about in a few weeks, so I won't yeah. dig into that one so much. But yeah, yeah. I just... I, I think, yeah, Shakespeare had a soft, soft spot for cripples, bastards, and broken things, so to speak. Beautiful. Well said. <laughs> to quote Tyrion well Lannister. Um, yes. Um, but yeah. yeah Love John, it. I'm just laughing because that's like so perfectly put. <laughs> it is. It is. And I think that's the perfect button for this first episode of The Cop. Uh, thanks, yeah. everybody, for tuning in and enjoying yep. this. Always. Yes, raise our glasses. Let's raise the cup. <laughs> yes, ra yes, raise the cup. Cheers to all. Uh, you can find all our Cup of Hemlocks on all the different social media platforms, including uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Cup of Hemlock. Uh, Jill, our wonderful Shakespeare version slash wonderful special guest and friend of the company. Where can people find thanks you and all your amazing me. work? Uh, yeah, you can follow me. Um, primarily, I do things on Instagram. So okay. my um, Instagram handle, handle is Jillian.Robinson96, which Beautiful. maybe I'll shoot to Mac. Yeah, we'll take you. Post the info. Yes. Um, yeah, and I, I love doing discussions like this, you guys. Yeah. I, I am a practicing actor right now, but mm -hmm. I am a huge academic as well. So anytime mm -hmm. we can delve into the dramaturgy yeah. and nitty gritty nerd-esque type of theater yes. i am there in a jiffy so fantastic well do we already know you we already can announce that you'll be joining us on our next episode of coriolanus yes so excited uh, and i actually got to see that one at stratford as well so i'm excited to revisit it virtually yes. and then unpack all the wonderfulness that is andre sills maybe you can find there. yourself in the crowd maybe <laughs> who knows <laughs> for sure i mean fantastic uh other than that ed is is there a place they can find you if they want to continue the conversation with you yeah so i have i'm on instagram uh, edmund mm -hmm. underscore clark underscore official that's my actors page and there yep. i mean i hope to start putting out more monologues and whatnot but if you ever want to drop me a question or mm -hmm. uh you know critique anything that i post then mm -hmm. feel free to please all right yeah also we have for cup of hemlock our mm -hmm. local artist feature if you yes. are in the province of ontario please, please, please submit to it. We are trying to uh, keep the motivations and creativity up during the quarantine. All of this is mm -hmm. happening while we are in our individual homes. Mm -hmm. And I think what's more important than anything, like the Renaissance, how it came after the plague, we, we need artistry today and we need it now. Yes. Yes, and if you're here. here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And if you're a designer, please also reach out to Ed as he as production manager for Cup of Hemlock. We'll be happy to talk with you and get yep. you on our list of designers and creators as well. So please shoot him a shoot him a line. And Ryan, you are a man going for his PhD right now. So Isn't where can they find you and talk and talk to you all about academic and fun well, theatrical? I am pretty social media illiterate. So <laughs> I have so a literary manager. <laughs> I, I have say. I have Facebook. If I don't know you, please don't add me as a friend. Um, um, I do have a Twitter. Like I set up the account once and have literally not logged on it since. So you can follow that if you want, I guess. Um, I, I have another theater company called Sad Ibsen Theater. Mm -hmm. Socials exist, but I've been pretty inactive for a while. So you can follow those and maybe at some point there will be news of a new production. Woo! 
but in the meantime, I'd much prefer you send that love to Cup of Hemlock. Who's send it to our Cup of Hemlock. Yeah, Peter, or, or just comment below, and we and we'll try to answer whatever questions you have. Yeah, 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 yeah. This will be up on our YouTube page. There'll be lots more yep. good stuff coming on this page going forward. Uh, you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, you can follow me on my podcast called Before the Downbeat, which is a musical based podcast where on a weekly basis, uh, my co-host Autumn Smith and I dive into a musical. Uh, at the time of this recording, our season two premiere is coming with Fiddler on the Roof. So Ooh. Yahoo, Ooh. fun times there. We'll be back uh, next with our uh, a deep dive into the cup review of Coriolanus directed by Robert Lepage uh, from the Stratford Festival. So stay tuned for that, everybody. We'll see you soon. Have a great day, everybody. Cheers, Bye. Everyone. Thank you. Be Bye. safe. Cheers. Bye. Bye.